From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to the OCFA Pass Along Podcast. This episode will feature an interview conducted by Battalion Chief Phil Johnson talking to our Operations Chief, Brian Young. And this will be reference uh, lessons learned on the Canyon 2 fire. I will say that there, uh, there was a Border 3 fire last year, in, uh, and I, I'm not sure if it was Imperial or San Diego, um, but our intention is to not have a Canyon 3 fire. Um, that is our hope. Um, we, uh, we have a very aggressive uh, post-fire exit plan uh, with an extended IEP to deal with the week following the fire, um, and then we'll follow that up with a patrol schedule as well, just to make sure that we don't have any kind of a reoccurrence to, to necessitate a Canyon 3 fire. All right, well, before we get into more of the Canyon 2 fire discussion, let's talk about some news and noteworthy items going on here at the OCFA. Unfortunately, due to the Canyon 2 fire, uh, we had to postpone the OC uh, fire memorial, uh, fire service memorial, rather, uh, that was supposed to be on Tuesday, October 10th. Uh, Battalion 9 is working on rescheduling that, and we're uh, tentatively looking at November. So keep your eyes open for that, and we'll get more information to you via memo and uh, email in the future. So uh, more to follow there. We just got some great news uh, that I'd like to share uh, in concert with the memo that went out from the fire chief that our uh, aircraft rescue firefighting services at JWA or John Wayne Airport um, were just extended and the agreement uh, was set to expire November 30th of this year and OCFA staff um, began talking with the airport administration reference and extension uh, earlier this year and then on June 22nd the contract renewal was unanimously approved by our executive board um, or committee rather. And then the real good, good news here is that yesterday, October 17th, the final approval of the ARF contract um, was provided by the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And that will run through November 30th, uh, about to uh, 2022. Uh, Chief McIntosh sent out the memo, as I mentioned earlier, um, and really referenced the success um, of the five-year contract renewal and, and gave credit to the outstanding work that each of uh, the folks uh, you do out there in the field every day. And so I really wanted to just say thanks for a job well done um, for those that serve at 33s and the ancillary stations that assist the airport, as well as uh, Chief McEwen and his staff um, working to um, ensure that the airport is happy with our services and that we work collectively with them to provide um, essentially the, a safe airfield there at JWA. So thanks to all who were involved there. All right, yesterday um, we were treated to an impromptu visit by California uh, State Governor Jerry Brown. He came by to congratulate uh, folks on a job well done for the recent wildfires and then took a tour of our Department, Department Operations Center as well as our Emergency Command Center. And he was obviously very appreciative of the work that uh, staff has done, and uh, both uh, professional and uh, operations, ECC field, and all the way throughout the organization in, in, in referencing what our staff and folks have done to, to really assist the folks in the communities that we serve um, protect as many homes and lives as possible and suppress the fire. So uh, pretty impressive. Uh, so thank you and uh, for being a part of that. Those of you who helped organize, organize that impromptu visit uh, by Jerry Brown. All right, don't forget your Best and Bravest nominations. Uh, get those in soon. A memo went back, uh, I want to say uh, September 
uh, maybe 21st, and uh, was in the briefing binder on the Hive, and then there's a link in there to the nomination form. So uh, remember, this is really a great opportunity to recognize those in the organization who go essentially above and beyond uh, in their duties every day. And we just want to make sure to um, acknowledge them. So get your nominations in soon, if you would. We'd, we'd certainly appreciate it. Um, to, uh, to celebrate those staff, so thank you. Uh, this Sunday, uh, the Benevolent Association is hosting their annual Fall Festival. And uh, speaking of that, here's uh, uh, Benevolent Association President Jim Cass talk a little bit more about what to expect out there. Hello everybody, this is Jim Cass. Uh, again, I just wanted to remind everybody the uh, Fall Festival is coming up this Sunday, October 22nd. It's gonna be at Oak Canyon Park, as it has been the last couple of years. I would encourage everybody to, uh, if you can, if you're not working, plan on trying to come on down. This is a great day for family, friends, uh, the kids, everybody that you want, want to bring with you. We have great food, great music. We have a bunch of carnival rides, games, activities for the kids, canoe rides around the little pond lake area. We also have uh, a lot of great raffle prizes. You'll get, uh, for the adults, you get 25 tickets for 20 bucks. And for our youth raffle prizes, you can get 25 tickets for $10. If you have a chance to purchase them online, I know we've had a couple, there was a couple issues with the, the webpage, some cookies, we've, I believe, fixed that. But if you have a chance to purchase them online, we're gonna give you 10 free extra tickets uh, towards your purchase and, which I think is the biggest benefit, you don't have to write your name on all the tickets that you buy the day of the event. So if you get them in by three o'clock on Thursday, we'll print your name on all the tickets for you and you won't have to do that. So look forward to seeing everybody out at the Fall Festival, October 22nd, from 11 to 4 at Oak Canyon Park. Uh, again, it's going to be a great day. If you haven't been, I highly encourage you to schedule a time. The other thing is for all our benevolent members, if you are a benevolent member, this is free to you, free in your immediate family, your dependents, your husband, your wife, uh, your kids. It's free for the immediate family. If you have some other friends or family that you'd like to be, uh, the ticket price to get in for them is just $10 for adult and $5 for a uh, youth. So. Look forward to seeing you there coming out this Sunday, and we're having a great day together. All right, that's, uh, that'll wrap it up for news and noteworthy items. Let's move on to our featured segment uh, on the Canyon 2 fire. If you'll remember, the fire started on Columbus Day Monday, uh, October 9th, around 9.45 in the a.m., and it was uh, roughly where the 91 meets Cole Canyon um, out there, um, kind of where uh, it's a confluence of quite a few areas and jurisdictions. Uh, we've had a multitude of fires out there, and it's nothing new to us. This one in particular, based on the wind conditions, and uh, other exacerbating factors um, obviously created a significant incident for us in Unified Command with uh, Orange and uh, Anaheim and uh, then also ourselves. Uh, fire went up to about 9,200 acres, destroyed uh, or damaged more than 60 structures. Uh, luckily, there was no lives lost and no significant injuries. Uh, the cause is still under investigation and uh, that's being led by Anaheim Fire. So um, once we have information that can be shared, we'll obviously uh, share that with you. But uh, for more on that, uh, let's turn to Chief Johnson and Chief Young with more about the Canyon 2 Fire. All right, uh, we are here with the uh, Orange County Fire Authority uh, podcast here interviewing Chief Brian Young. I'm Phil Johnson with uh, uh, Battalion 2 C-Shift uh, here to talk about the Canyon 2 Fire. Welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, to get started, uh, when this all went down, what was going through your mind when you first heard about the new incident? Uh, obviously, I was processing a lot. Um, we'd just come off the heels of the Canyon One fire. Uh, as a matter of fact, we just finished the last patrol uh, on the Friday prior to Canyon Two starting. 
We did have a little bit of uh, forewarning with this one with a known weather pattern. So we were able to upstaff some resources in support of that. Uh, specifically, we had a helicopter, the crew was hard covered for 24, with additional dozer module. And a, a real benefit was adding a couple of dispatchers. Um, so we were, we were more prepared for the incident. Um, so as far as what was going through my mind, it was the initial concern of, of where was this fire going? Um, was it um, burning away from the other fire, Canyon 1, which we knew was a, a significant concern? Uh, we also had the weather pattern that was going to create uh, a significant impact. Um, uh, most people are aware of that historic weather uh, corridor. Uh, we have a, a ton of history there. As a matter of fact, during that same period was the historic anniversary of the Paseo Grande fire, which almost took the exact same trajectory. Interesting enough, it was almost the same number of resources that were responded to that fire way back in 67. Uh, there was 188 engines on that, and at the peak of this fire, we had 175. The total number of structures damaged was almost identical as well. Uh, 68 with Paseo Grande, and we had 67 structures that were damaged at different um, levels for this fire. So the correlations were amazing. The communities threatened were, were almost identical as well. So we had a lot of historic data to go on. Um, and fortunately, we had the, the recently completed wildland urban interface pre-plans that showed the projected uh, fire growth and, and directions of travel. and it marched out almost progressively as you would anticipate. So we had that backdrop knowing that was gonna happen. Um, I was not anticipating it going to happen, but when it did, um, we knew what we needed to do. Very good. When this had occurred, what were your top three priorities as the op chief during the initial attack phase? Um, so as ops chief, uh, we knew basically we had the on-scene incident command that was set up that was working uh, rather rapidly and evolving. At the same time, the DOC was rapidly uh, spooling up. So we had to support the incident needs with the resources. Um, that was a, the primary objective, especially with it being a wind-driven fire. Um, then that brought us to the second area of concern, which was the populations at risk. Obviously, we had the communities of Anaheim, Orange, and then for our direct uh, protection area of Orange Park Acres and Cowan Heights. So that was a secondary uh, concern. And then the third was balancing the needs of this evolving incident with the needs of the daily operations of this agency. Um, in the past, we've been hesitant to, to dump a lot of resources sometimes on these calls. Um, we did not even miss a beat with that on this fire. We dumped a lot of resources early, knowing the significant impacts, at the same time making sure that we were still covering the, the regular daily uh, interaction with the 911 calls. So it was that balance, that was the third priority, but obviously it's, it was changing uh, constantly. I see. What are some learning points that you could share with the ops folks that you saw from your perspective? Um, what I found probably most incredible was this, is that we had this very short reflex time from Canyon 1 to Canyon 2. We experienced some pretty rapid um, change uh, that was needed from the first one. Um, it, Canyon 1 was probably the largest fire that we've had in, in a recent number of years. Um, though the impacts were primarily to the city of Corona, it was a significant fire, at least for us as an agency, as far as the acreage burn and the, the values at risk. Um, now, 
We did have some shortcomings as far as the, um, the timeliness of how we were able to staff behind resources. One of the big takeaways of this, and I know this seems like an in the weeds perspective, but getting a duty manpower coordinator in the DOC early on this incident, on the second one, made a significant positive impact, enabling us to send more resources more timely and then backfill them more rapidly. So that was really a in the weeds lessons learned. Um, some of the other things that we took away though were more validations than lessons learned. The incredible value of our type three all hazards and incident management teams were completely supported on both the Canyon One and the Canyon Two. Um, we took that expertise of those team members. Um, they really ran a type one incident with this Canyon Two fire with the type one, or excuse me, the type three team. Granted, we were augmenting some of the personnel on that, but it was phenomenal. Um, the subject matter expertise, the, the uh, skills that were provided by those teams made all the difference in the world uh, as far as uh, planning for this event, planning into the next operational periods and making sure that we had a positive resolution. Into, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, in our conversation here. How many units did we deploy during the first 24 hours of the incident? You said they closely, closely resembled what, what went out on Paseo Grande back in 1967. So that was the total uh, resources. So that was, if you look at the peak on, on that from the report from that time, uh, 188 engines were assigned to the original Paseo Grande. At the peak of this incident, we had 175 engines assigned. The, uh, the initial push on this fire was significant. 46 engines were on the fire in the IA or shortly thereafter the IA when we, we transitioned in the extended. Um, it, was, it was really focused on that IA. So getting 46 engines from our agency alone on the initial attack of that fire was a significant impact and it made a, a big difference of how that fire was managed. Getting those resources in those communities at risk, uh, making that, that stand and in multiple communities was significant. Now you compare that to Canyon One, we still put a lot of resources on that early on as well. There was 26 engines on that IA. So when you compare the two, it's, it's roughly a half, but at the same time, that's, that's the equivalent of five strike teams going on an IA just on Canyon One, and now you have 46 uh, going on Canyon Two. You can see the dedication that we had as an agency to do the right thing and get those resources rolling where they need to go. Yeah, it's very nice to see the system actually work. Yep. Now that we've had two significant incidents re recently, can you speak to how effective the ramp worked? So uh, remember the ramp is a guideline. It provides that, that tool that we can go to when we have to deal with these evolving incidents so that we're not just winging it. Um, the perception would be is that maybe we didn't follow that, but that's not accurate. We use the ramp guide for both Canyon 1 and Canyon 2. We had the ability to more rapidly assess the needs of what the ramp was recommending with Canyon 2 due to the fact that our staffing was, was greater in the DOC. Um, but we used it to determine how far we were going to draw down. So in Canyon 2, we went down to a level 2 drawdown and knowing that we still had one more level to go if we needed to do so. I kind of remembered back with the 93 Laguna fires um, where it was not uncommon for some of those response areas to be covered by a single truck company and a medic van. Um, as the structures were burning. So we knew that we had that next layer to go um, once it got into, or if it did get into Cowan and or Orange Park Acres, we basically would dump that last layer and go into a drawdown level three and just man the remainder of the, of the department with the bare minimum. Um, fortunately, we didn't have to do that. Um, 
as you recall, the, the uh, VLATs arrived just at the right time and, and significantly helped slow the, the front of that fire as it entered in those areas. It still got in those areas, but we couldn't have timed the arrival of that VLAT more appropriately. Absolutely, absolutely. Did we learn anything from the first canyon fire that we were able to apply to the second canyon fire? Uh, I kind of touched on these a little bit already. Um, it was getting the right resources in the right places at the right time. Um, from the IA attack, getting those, those engines on the road as quickly as possible to decrease that reflex time. For you in the field as that incident commander, wanting those resources, waiting patiently as staging's emptying as soon as it's filling. Um, that reflex time's always a problem, especially when we're going outside a region uh, for those resources. Uh, fortunately, uh, the other XOR partners, the other uh, partners in Orange County, they dumped their resources as well. Um, Orange and Anaheim um, were full in, uh, just like us. Obviously, they had communities uh, threatened. So as far as a takeaway and a learn, it was getting those, those people in the positions where they needed to be as soon as possible. The DOC, it was significant to, to support the incident, at the same time support the agency. Now, I understand that the, the Type 3 structure was supporting the incident um, at that level, but you also needed the support from the DOC to make sure those resources were getting put into the queue and sent out. Um, along with that is the expanded dispatch. Um, opening up extend, expanded dispatch on Canyon 2 um, early and effectively made a significant positive impact. And then we requested an ECC support team from CAL FIRE that arrived rather rapidly that once again made the, the actual um, firefight more effective with uh, uh, a more significant wind event behind it. So um, those behind the scene things sometimes are very critical, if not equally as critical as getting those, those firefighters on the ground uh, affecting that fire attack. Um, that was one of the biggest takeaways as far as the learning of the, just that short window of transition from Canyon 1 to Canyon 2 was getting all those support pieces rolling and get them um, in the system. One uh, nice validation, and I, I briefly touched on this, is, is it further reinforces um, the Type 3 team um, that we're standing up. It's getting more and more reps just in this last two years. You can see how many times they've been engaged. Um, the feedback has been incredible uh, from the Type 1 teams, um, as well as just the local agencies recognizing them. So um, that'll be something for the future that we make sure that we have substantial depth in those positions um, so that we can continue with that um, idea in the future. Good. Why were we so much more successful than the firefight uh, going on up in Santa Rosa? I, it wouldn't be fair for me to say that we were more successful or why we were more successful. Um, I can't really provide an opinion on that. Um, obviously, their situation was far more catastrophic uh, with the lives lost. I mean, entire neighborhoods um, taken out. We very well could have had that same situation here. Um, there's a lot of things that came into play. Um, one of the big things that supported why ours was successful not as a comparative, is, is the availability of air resources. Um, roughly uh, 16 or 17 rotary wing, and I, I wanna say it was 12 to 14 fixed wing um, were on our fire uh, for a significant period of time. At least that first, uh, the IA, and then the first extended uh, operational period, we had a, a ton of fixed wings still that were working um, that open side that was the threat to the forest. And then we had a significant amount of rotary wing that really saved entire communities 
um, as the fire was spotting and getting out ahead um, of the ground-based resources, um, they were instrumental in, in mitigating that, that spread. So I think the availability resources, one, both ground-based and um, air-based, air made um, all the difference in the world. Um, and then obviously the support with the Unified Incident Command uh, to make sure all those pieces came into play. And, and I do believe that the recently adopted wildland urban interface plans, um, though they probably weren't got uh, or they weren't pulled out into the specific weeds, having that template of go to go to to pull out what the anticipated threat is, what the anticipated resource needs are, and more importantly, that projected fire path, um, every, almost every one of those was validated. If you look at all the plans that were um, involved in this fire and you look at that path that the fire was supposed to take, it was textbook. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice when somebody gives you the playbook um, as the play is evolving. Yeah, nice to see it work out yep. for sure. Have you heard from any of the residents out there, not just their appreciation, but aspects of evacuation, repopulation, information dissemination, et cetera, and are there any learning points there? Um, you know, there was some complexity with this incident, with it being a, um, a unified command, uh, multiple stakeholders. Um, from the media perspective, uh, there's probably obviously an evolution that, that can be improved, maybe a more formalized JIC, a Joint Information Center, um, to bring all those, those players together. Um, you had the competing interests of um, city uh, media campaigns versus the IMT's uh, established PIO function. So um, that could probably be streamlined in, in, as a mode of uh, improvement in the future. But as far as fallouts or negative, um, I didn't hear anything um, specifically. Um, now, positive feedback from, from direct uh, those directly impacted. I personally didn't receive it. The media accolades are pretty impressive. Uh, people are very grateful, right? It, it's no different from any of these um, campaign fires where we make a significant positive impact, where there's, there's banners up all over these towns. Every fire station is being bombarded with thank you letters. Um, but the media output has been, has been very positive. Um, our firefighters made a difference on this fire. They saved entire neighborhoods. Those structures were lost. Um, that's inevitable when you have um, a significant um, weather-driven fire like this. Uh, but I can't be more proud of, of everybody that was involved in this, whether it be those that are on the ground or those behind the scenes making it all happen. A lot of times people lose sight that it's not just uh, the boots on the ground. I mean, you need all the support to make your job successful as an incident commander. Um, or, or the guy riding around um, in the fire engine that's saving those houses individually. So um, there was a lot of wins. Uh, the media has given us a lot of uh, positive uh, feedback. Um, I understand there's a, a lot of um, social media postings of, of live action that were pretty impressive. And those continue to trickle in and I'm sure we'll see more and more of that um, as, as it evolves. Very good. Uh, I, I will say that there, uh, there was a Border 3 fire last year, in, uh, and I, I'm not sure if it was Imperial or San Diego, um, but our intention is to not have a Canyon 3 fire. Um, that is our hope. Um, we, uh, we have a very aggressive uh, post-fire exit plan uh, with an extended IEP to deal with the week following the fire, um, and then we'll follow that up with a patrol schedule as well, just to make sure that we don't have any kind of a reoccurrence to, to necessitate a Canyon 3 fire. We do have another weather pattern coming in, um, so we know that's a, a concern, um, and we're, we're well, um, well aware of that and ready for that. 
What kind of feedback could you provide, though, from the initial incident commander perspective? Um, obviously, I was removed from it. Um, I was heavily engaged and involved, but I didn't have that same perspective you did from um, an early on response, the integration with uh, the multiple agencies. I'd love to hear your perspective of, of how that went and, and how you would um, describe the successes that came out of that. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, one of the, the, the biggest successes that came out of there started before the fire ever started, and that was the relationships that were built before this ever happened. Uh, the proverbial, when you show up to one of these and it's how are you, not who are you, was very beneficial. Uh, most of all of the players that were involved in this, from, uh, from everybody from CAL FIRE to uh, the cities within Orange County, as well as the county, uh, we all know each other. It, we didn't have to get over that hump of, who, hump of who, who is this guy and what is he like and all of that. We, got, we rolled our sleeves up and went straight to work. Mm -hmm. um, it was, if, as we know, it was a very fast moving incident. Ironically, uh, I was working Battalion 2 that day and I was on my way to Fire Station 32. I was on Yorba Linda Boulevard to, to, go, to discuss um, WUI protection stuff. Uh, and we were just going to review structure protection. And ironically, I got a phone call from ECC and they said, hey, we've got some reports of smoke popping up in the Coal Canyon area. We're assuming it might be dust because the wind was blowing very hard that day. As I proceeded onto the 91, I saw all the dust blowing. I came around the corner to uh, around Coal Canyon and there it was. Uh, there was the report of smoke and it went from there. Uh, started a um, started our uh, high response to it before i knew it anaheim battalion one was there with me at uh, the coal canyon area and uh, of course it was right into two things got established we established um, uh, a joint command uh, as well as establishing ocfa was going to be the central ordering point as we know in any of these incidents it goes from zero to hectic immediately and so we divided and conquered uh, as this had started, we assumed that it was in Anaheim's dirt where the sink came out of. They went ahead and took care of the ground units. I took care of the air assets. And that division uh, really helped a lot. Um, one of the lessons that I had learned uh, through uh, Chuck Fedak, who was the incident commander for the first Canyon fire, uh, was to move the incident command post over to Green River immediately. That had gone through my head at the time. Uh, but the problem was uh, making access to Green River because at that point the 91 was locked up solid. So we kept it there for a few more minutes until the fire had actually chased us out and it was decided to move over to Yorba Regional, which that plan worked out really, really well. We were able to uh, have units come in and out of there as well as have a good command post and have some sort of shelter uh, from the fire. And from there, it moved on. Um, eventually, uh, Anaheim's uh, Chief Russell had come, on, come in and taken over IC for the ground. He kept me on air, and uh, it just rolled from there. Yeah, you know? it, was, it was a rapidly evolving, that's for sure. Um, I, I know um, early on the discussion was going back and forth between the incident and the DOC and uh, seeking uh, support for where we're gonna set up the, um, the incident base um, and obviously the ICP from that point. Um, were you party to the conversation at all about uh, Irvine uh, Park uh, being involved in the actual fire itself? Or 
Yeah, that, that was discussed. Um, and the problem with Irvine Park, as you know, all of our major incidents, our go-to <laughs> is Irvine Park. The problem was that Irvine Park was going to be on fire. <laughs> Not a good place for an incident yeah. command post. So uh, at some point it was decided to move it over to the Great Park. And uh, as we know, that was a, a really good move because Irvine Park did get hit with fire. As a matter of fact, uh, they had to do a mass evacuation of the animals that were not only in the stables, but the uh, zoo as well. Uh, it was brought to my attention by uh, parks that uh, the park had been evacuated for the exception of the animals. And we needed to get some people over there real fast because the uh, doomsday scenario for all of those animals was to euthanize them. Mm. and we didn't want to have any part of that happening. So fortunately, we were able to move a lot of ground assets and air assets over there, and uh, we didn't lose any animals. Uh, they all got evacuated uh, quite nicely. Yeah, that's fortunate. Um, one last piece I'd, I'd like to add <clears throat> was just um, the significance of this fire in the totality of everything that was happening in the state that day. Um, so one of the processes that uh, agencies go through when they have these significant campaign fires is um, filing for an FMAG or Fire Management Assistance Grant. And what that does is that handles a lot of the funding um, for these fires and, and certain criteria have to be met for those to be filed. Um, significant life threat, uncontrolled fire, um, system drawdown of resources, threat to infrastructure. You know, you can see very high level disaster type stuff. Um, it's not uncommon to see a couple of those get approved. Uh, through the fire season. Um, predominantly, they're obviously fire prone areas um, and, and you'll see it, it fluctuate, you know, sometimes as many as, as 50 a year, but it's not, it's not one of those things that happens all the time. The reason I bring this up is that over that two day period of when our fire broke and Santa Rosa was, was burning, 10 FMAGs were filed and approved in the state of California. Unprecedented to see that much um, fire activity to that level happening at one time. Um, in the state. So um, our ability to, I think, take care of the fire on the front end with our own resources, dumping as much as possible, and then once again leveraging the available air resources made a huge difference. And you can attest to that, like you said, taking over that, the, the air resources, um, incredible. Um, not enough can be said about those that were fighting that fire from the air and the ground. Um, incredible, incredibly fortunate. Um, but it's also directly tied to the hard work of everybody that was involved. So thank you to everybody that was involved uh, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. Um, it, was, it was a well done event. I'm sure there will be lessons learned as there always should be. Uh, we'll have a formal after action review for both fires. Uh, they'll look at uh, the operational uh, perspectives as well as the administrative perspectives because um, we always want to improve when we have these situations um, and learn from, from our past experiences. Right. Thank you very much for your uh, information and perspective on this incident. And there, like you'd said, I'm sure there's a lot of lessons that will become that will come out of here. We we'll learn and move them forward, just as we did with the Canyon One incident. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. All right. Outstanding. Thanks again, uh, Chief Young and Chief Johnson, for um, participating in the interview and allowing us to pick your brain, reference the fire. Uh, obviously, a lot of good information that we learned, as we do on every fire. Uh, really, that's, that, that's the mark of a great organization, as we are, is to, um, you know, certainly celebrate your victories, but always ask that question, you know, what, what, what things can we glean 
um, from those experiences that we've had? And then how can we memorialize that? And that's why those after action reports are so important that we can crystallize those things so that we can learn from uh, past successes and uh, areas where we can improve as well. So um, look forward to that. Uh, and then join us next week as we give the extended interview with Fire Captain and um, Benevolent Association President Jim Cass as he dives a little deeper into the Benevolent Association and th that they're here really f beyond just the fall festival, which I'll give you a shameless plug. That's again, reminder, uh, coming on Sunday. Um, but all the other ancillary services that the Benevolent Association provides for the Fire Authority. Um, they have just a solid history of being there for our members. Uh, the fire authority, um, you know, based on law and fiscal constraint can only come up to a certain point. And then that's where the Benevolent Association and uh, even Local 3631, that's where they key in to really take care of our members. So um, we really appreciate that, obviously. So uh, stay tuned. Look out for that interview with Jim Cass, reference the Benevolent Association and all the great work that they do uh, for all of us. So until then, watch out for each other and we'll talk to you soon.